Hello everyone, my name is Rochelle Innocent and I'm the founder and CEO of Project Purpose. Welcome to our channel. Our community is focused on fostering the intellectual and character development in children. We do this through our parent-child workshops that are focused on four themes, autonomy, self-efficacy, compassion, and self-concept, in order to cultivate grit, perseverance, and resilience in each child. At Project Purpose, our overarching mandate is to renew and rebuild family, community, and relationships. Our different social media platforms provide us with an opportunity to have discussions on all topics that relate to family, community, and relationships with ourselves as well as with others, with a primary focus on mental health and education. More precisely, the ways that the institutions of mental health and education play a role and have played a role in our societies at large. These discussions and debates provide us with an opportunity to think critically about what needs to change within these structures in order for us to live up to our bold slogan, support, protect, and empower each child through youth-focused development, better known as leadership in juvenescence. We recognize that in valuing our children's leadership potential, this also translates as recreating and co-creating environments both socially and politically that will enable our children to thrive. For those of you who are particularly keen on the topic, we also write thought pieces every other Sunday and we have one scheduled to drop this upcoming Sunday. So definitely be sure to meand over to the website and check out our content. As an alternative, our YouTube videos are also available on 10 different podcast platforms. So if you are out and about and on the go, definitely consider taking us along for the ride. Now, as is the convention, be sure to subscribe, hit that post notification bell so that you are aware of every time we post and of course, if you like these conversations and you want to keep them going, like, comment, and share this segment. Let's get into it. Hello everyone. For those of you who are returning, happy to see you. And for those of you who are new here at Project Purpose, we cover topics that relate to mental health, mental wellness, and education on a week-by-week -week basis. And this week, our topic of discussion is mental health. Now, this is beautiful fall weather. For those of you who don't know, fall is my absolute favorite season. So we're here to get cozy, get comfy, and have really fun conversations today that revolve around our mental health. Before jumping into the topic of today's session, I wanted to definitely make sure that you were aware of the fact that we now go live twice a month at minimum on our Facebook page. So we have conversations that relate to different life skills and critical thinking skills that build into our ability to create fulfillment for happier and more enriching lives. The topic that we are going to be covering for the month of October is Resolve. So we had one session earlier this month and we have an upcoming session as well. So we've put that up on the board and we've also provided you with a bird's eye view of the topics that we're going to be covering in November and December. And definitely stay tuned for our calendar for the topics that we'll be covering in 2022. So we're probably going to theme each and the reason why we, we want to give you a little bit of a, a teaser as it relates to these topics is, is because we're going to build on them. So these live events are paid events. So you can purchase a one-time ticket to participate and to engage and to benefit from the lively discussions that we plan on hosting and facilitating. Or you can think about our membership plan. So we offer a membership package plan where over and above our live events, we also will be putting together workshops and webinars that help you build the life 
skills, the soft skills, and the critical thinking skills to really contribute to a healthier, more enriching, more fulfilling life. And this is going to continue to grow and evolve. So while our offering is all digital, we are exploring so many different avenues and trajectories to make sure that we keep the content super lively, that we make sure that we are creating an environment that has high energy and we are super psyched. So definitely take a look at our package plans if you're thinking about joining this community long term. We think that that's a great idea. And of course, you get to take advantage of those sweet, sweet deals. Now, with all of that said, let's jump into today's topic. I've given you some food for thought. I've given you now insight into what we're going to be covering for the rest of 2021 and a little bit of a teaser for what to expect in 2022. So all of that to say, today our topic on mental health, we're going to be talking about immersive diversion. And why do I want to talk about immersive diversion? Well, given the fact that the last couple of years now, I think we can actually say a couple of years, we've been in a whirlwind of just activity. And it's interesting. I actually was doing some research as I was covering this topic. And in our lifetime, so in the past century and a bit, roughly 140 years and or such, we have survived a few pandemics, like not to the same magnitude, of course, but we've actually been able to say uh, in our generation, in our lifetime, that we've survived quite a few infectious disease pandemics. And so these pandemics for AIDS, for SARS, for the mad cow disease, for the West Nile virus, and also Lyme disease. And I was looking uh, into, uh, like as I was covering uh, the research for this topic, the need for immersive diversion, I was looking into some of the reactions around each of these pandemics and kind of the response that we took to mitigate you know, the ill effects of these pandemics and of these viruses spreading. And I came across an article that talked about 1885. So in 1885 in Montreal, there was a major pandemic for smallpox. So a patient was admitted in Montreal's Hôtel Dieu's hospital for smallpox. And the symptoms for smallpox are fairly similar to a, a, a standard infectious virus. So the fever chills, a cough and some red spots. Um, so I think that's typically the marking for someone who has smallpox, just kind of based on what I've read. Though this is a highly contagious disease. And so what had happened was this patient was admitted, the disease spread rapidly throughout the hospital. And because there wasn't really a robust public health policy at the time, uh, as a knee-jerk reaction, the medical staff at the hospital discharged 80% of their patients, which exposed the larger population to this disease, which caused a pandemic in the Montreal area. So 167,000 was the population of Montreal at the time and roughly 3,000 deaths. So, and most of these deaths were children and, and, and infants. And, and that was just, you know, lack of public policy kind of led to those deaths. And, you know, we, we could have mitigated that if we had more robust policy. And then if we skip ahead to 2003, which is when we experienced our SARS outbreak, and that was handled with a little bit more care. So the disease itself was concentrated in the hospitals and this time there was careful identification of cases and, and because they were able to kind of trace social contacts and there was widespread quarantine that was administered at that time we were able to contain that illness fairly effectively and it's interesting because when we compare and contrast public health policy in 1885 and sort of the ramifications of not having a robust public policy then and we think about the way that it was managed in 2003 we really see the benefits of having a public health policy and, and I like to 
to do this because it's interesting when you think about human behavior there's so many aspects of human behavior that mimic itself like you know history is something that I feel like we are destined to repeat if we don't remember our history and I think when it comes to the way that we respond to pandemics this is a history that maybe should be more top of mind for for all of us, given that it's impacted all of our lives in various ways. But even in 1885, there was a very effective vaccine for smallpox at that time, but public health policy really didn't have the power or the authority to enforce, you know, this vaccine being disseminated. And a lot of people argue that the vaccine in and of itself was dangerous. So we are ringing some familiarity bells here. <laughs> so people thought that the vaccine was dangerous. People in Montreal, you know, feared this disease. And actually, because the pandemic was in Montreal, it did end up creating a lot of strain on French and English relations in the country. And we all have a sense of like this, this duel is like this war between, you know, French Canadians and English Canadians. And only when I moved to France did I realized that, you know, being called an Anglophone can be a derogatory term. Because a lot of the things that I did when I was in France, I didn't really even think about. I was referenced as, oh, well, you Anglo, les Anglos sont comme ça, les Anglos. And never in Canada have I been called an Anglo. I mean, I didn't spend a whole lot of time in Montreal. Maybe if I did, more people would have felt inclined to categorize my behavior as being characteristically Anglophone. Uh, but I didn't even really know that that was a category that I fell into. And Anglophones apparently have a culture. There's an Anglo Anglophone culture over and above, you know, North American culture or what have you. So I found that interesting. And when I was doing some research on sort of the response, the responses to different pandemics, and I saw that there was like, you know, these French and English issues around the management and mitigation of this disease. It created a lot of strain. The Anglophones blamed the French for like the, the high birth rates among the Francophones. And they also accused the Roman Catholic Church for not speaking up in favor of the vaccine and the vaccination programs. And there are a lot of rumor mongering and a lot of gossip being spread around, you know, the news real at that time insinuating or outright just stipulating that that the English, the Anglophones were creating this sensationalism around this illness and, and wanting to create smallpox panic in order to boycott and starve out the French. And of course, as a result of a lot of the tension and I guess camps that were being built around some of the conversations around this vaccine, there was a compulsory vaccination program put in place and riots. Again, I think there are some notes of familiarity despite this being over a hundred years ago. So when we think a little bit about the parallel with SARS, I mean, it was very different. Um, it was instructive, there was nothing that that was compulsory about the way that we kind of managed and mitigated the spread of the of the illness. There was some stereotyping of, of ethnic groups, which we definitely have experienced around this pandemic as well. And there was also some fear around healthcare professionals and being exposed to healthcare professionals, which is the case for this time around as well. And so I, Around pandemics, there's like typically this disruption and we, we ostracize specific groups because there's there's a fear of the contagion and sometimes that fear translates in ways that aren't 
and the fear translates in different ways for different people. Though we can see if we compare, you know, current state with you know SARS in 2003 with this pandemic and the way that that created tension and issues in 1885, we see a lot of parallels. And the reason why I'm talking about this because I, I find it interesting, and I'm talking about this because it sets the tone for why I want to talk about immersive diversion. And it speaks to a heuristic, so a cognitive tool that we all have access to, and this is what we call the availability heuristic. And with this heuristic, we tend to make decisions based on the information that is just the most that is the most prevalent at that point in time. So we make our judgments and our decisions with what's top of mind at, at that time. And so because you know there's massive media attention around these illnesses, it be, it makes these illnesses top of mind. But the one thing that I find you know an interesting tidbit around you know the opinions and the positions and camps that are built around the sensationalization of these infectious diseases is none of the diseases have progressed to such an extent that they've outweighed the the big colors for all of us in industrialized societies so despite these pandemics and the casualties that came with these pandemics the big killers in industrial societies are still the chronic diseases even when these pandemics are you know at their heightened state are still heart diseases, cerebrovascular diseases, cancer and accidents. Yet we don't find that there are big strong opinions being put in place to help mitigate against these killers, which are more constant in our societies and are still more pervasive and more likely to be the reason why any one of us meets our demise in an untimely and premature fashion. So food for thought there. So 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 that's a point of view that I just wanted to share because I think that is an interesting thing to note. And when we think about public health policy in and of itself, it, it has three objectives. And I think in Canada, it's had the same three objectives for the last two to three decades almost. And one of them is to reduce the inequities that come with income and opportunity that adversely affect health. The, the second initiative or objective set by the Canadian public health policy is to increase efforts to prevent injuries, diseases, chronic illnesses, uh, or disabilities by means of things such as immunization of school ch children, you know, against a broad range of diseases, reducing drug driving, smoking, or dietary choices, uh, as well as promoting prenatal and neonatal care. And the third objective of the Canadian public health policy, for those who, you know, might be curious or never thought to be curious, but here I'm satisfying your curiosity here is to enhance people's ability to cope with chronic illnesses or mental health issues or concerns such as depression, respiratory ailments, hypertension, and arthritis, as well as, you know, to assist seniors, at least those who are you know, partially incapacitated. So these have been the objectives of our public health policy for the last two to three decades. And, you know, quote me, don't quote me on this. Their objectives are listed publicly. And it's interesting because I don't think a lot of people have a sense of what the driving objectives are of our Canadian health policy. And a lot of people have opinions about how those objectives translate in action, more specifically around moments where there are pandemics or issues around infectious diseases and we are actively seeing the hand of our public health policy and trying to mitigate these illnesses and diseases within our societies. We recognize this because now they need our, our participation, right? So they need us to, uh, they need us, our cooperation to actively accomplish these goals. They need communal participation, obviously, for the effective coordination of their policies and action. So in the case of the, of the Montreal 
smallpox pandemic in 1885, where the majority of the casualties were small children and infants. The epidemic was exacerbated by one, the, the absence of public health policy, and two, public mistrust in the available vaccine. And I think that that's also very interesting because we fast forward 140 years or so later, and we see that, you know, our public health policy has become much more robust, yet we still, I think our government has still leaps and strides to go by way of establishing trust in, in the vaccines and also communal trust within the actual, you know, officials who are enforcing and, and mandating objectives around these policies. So I think that one of the underlying reasons why we find that there are successes or failures with the administration of public health policy is this aspect of trust. And I don't think trust is a easy thing to work around. I think that there are certain steps and milestones and, and phases that everyone needs to go through and they're different for each person in order to establish that trust. But I think more needs to be done around what work needs to be put in place to create the trust, to avoid having all these factions created around some of the solutions to support societies that are dealing with infectious disease pandemics, because it seems that we go through the same cycle, regardless of what the infectious disease or pandemic is because there are the same underlying issues at play. I talk about this because health healthcare is typically an undercurrent. It's something that we think about in our private lives and it's very rarely something that collectively we cultivate a conscience around unless there's some sort of pandemic or, you know, issue that we're as as the one that we're currently living through um and then this undercurrent becomes just the current it's not an undercurrent it's just this current that we're fighting against as we're still trying to live our day-to-day -day lives and i think sometimes especially if it's been almost two years we need to give ourselves an opportunity to renew to refresh and to step out of the current so that we can step in with a new perspective and to feel better and lighter about the choices that we're making in our own private lives that are going to contribute to the, the to the whole at some point down the line. And I think that it's really important that we think about immersive diversion, which is a term that I've coined as something that we do before we burn out. And like we have human beings, each and every one of us are so resilient. We're so apt at adapting and we've been adapting for the last two years. But I think that we need to recognize that part of that adaptation cycle is to recognize that we need to step out and take a break, especially if we're all paddling upstream before we burn out. And it's important that we think about how we mitigate burnout because we don't see an end in sight. So I think immersive diversion is a, is a tool or a term that I want to coin. And I hope that all of you think about, well, how do I incorporate periods of time within my schedule, however frequently is required for immersive diversion so that I give myself repose from this current that is pressing on us on a global scale. So, so there are two truths to anchor on in periods such as these. And the first truth is problems will always be part of a reality and maybe the problems will change maybe they'll evolve maybe you know we will grow through our problems but there's never going to be a period of our life where there isn't something that needs resolution there there isn't something that needs our focus and attention and that can be daunting that can be exhausting even to think about or we think about well hey like if the constant in our life are the problems that we face and the problems that we engage in and no we can't predict or decide what problems it is that we're going to have to deal with but how do I support myself in the face of the problems that I know and I'm aware of and the problems that are, you know, 
just beyond the horizon that I'm going to end up needing to deal with in the future. And I think that when we think about problems as being a constant and recognizing that our energy is not, is finite, and we need to give ourselves the opportunity to create a reserve of energy to help us through all of the different periods and waves that our lives are gonna bring us through that will introduce different issues that we are going to resolve and we will resolve these issues effectively. It brings us to the second truth is like, we need to learn to step away. If problems are a constant, if we step away from the problem even for a moment, they're not going to go away. They're going to be there when we come back. So we need to give ourselves an opportunity to break away, to step away from these issues, to give ourselves repose, to give ourselves an opportunity to refresh, to rethink our moves moving forward, and then we can step back into the current. And I think that recognizing when you need to tap into your peace, when you need to tap into stillness is a super critical life skill. And now that we realize there's so many different factors that are being contributed to our upstream and each of our upstreams comprises of the collective issues that we're dealing with as the society and the individual issues that we're dealing with individually and it's important that we realize that we have the option and we should take the option to step away step into stillness find our peace give ourselves opportunities to propose knowing those problems are going to be there when we come back for us to deal with but we can give ourselves an opportunity to recharge and to boost our batteries and to approach them with a new perspective so i know that we talk a lot about like the power of leaning in but this is me sort of advocating for the power of stepping out there is power in stepping out and giving yourself space, peace, quiet from the issues that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And how we do that, now that's where creativity comes in because all of us can use our imagination and I think all of us find peace in different things and repose in different things. And this is an opportunity to be creative and to, to think on the fly and also to tap into what it is that you need in that moment that's going to help give you the opportunity to recharge, to refresh and to renew. So really when we think about immersive diversion, it's a term that I've coined to intentionally step away, to break away mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically from issues that are bombarding us and from the problems that we're going to face in everyday life and giving ourselves something else to focus on. Something that when we focus on it, it recharges us, it renews us, it fuels us so that we have the energy stores to continue on pushing forward without the risk of burning out. So it's really less about distraction and more about pivoting your attention elsewhere because distraction is something that we can do mindlessly. But immersive diversion is intentionally taking our focus from one area that creates and builds our stress and putting our attention in a different area that fuels and renews us from the inside out. So being intentional about putting yourself in this place where you feel still, where you give yourself quiet and where you're renewing because you're allowing yourselves opportunity of peace peace and quiet so different ways that we tap into this i mean again like i'm not going to give you an exhaustive list i think all of us have different ways that we tap into stillness that we find our peace that we can renew and recharge whether that's you know playing a sport watching a sport you know whether that's eating or cooking cooking for ourselves cooking for our families whether that's working out or meditation mindfulness whether that's completely removing ourselves from our environments and putting us in our different environments where we're unknown we're anonymous and there's no responsibilities that we have whatsoever i mean the list is endless it's just recognizing that all of us need 
to build in, especially now and especially during periods of these collective crises that we're still figuring out our way through, that we divert our attention from the crises. We divert our attention from the alarms that are constantly going off and we give ourselves an opportunity to step out of the upstream, to give ourselves a sense of stillness and quiet before stepping back into the ring. So I guess this conversation on immersive diversion has really focused on, you know, current state and all of what we're dealing with and this kind of building up for each person that I've interacted with for myself personally is giving yourself the permission to step away, to step out and recognizing that your problems are always going to be there. You don't need to always attend to your problems. You can attend to yourself and recognizing that you have that option and it's the choice to take is key in supporting your mental health. So that was this conversation. I hope it was interesting to you. I hope it was informative. I wanted to draw a little bit of parallels because I do see that history has a funny way of repeating itself. I think maybe if we're more mindful of our history, we can think about different strategies so that the next time that we're dealing with a, such a situation, we can be more effective, we can be more mindful and more intentional about the way that we navigate the terrain. So thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for sticking it out with me. If you have your own tips and tricks by way of how you divert your attention and you give yourself an immersive experience by way of diverting your attention, I'd love to hear from you. Definitely engage with this video. If you have different historical examples from where you're from as to how your society dealt with infectious diseases in the past and with whether or not you see that you're improving or it's the same rigmarole or whether, you know, if there's something a little bit comedic about the way that you you see historically that your society has dealt with you know infectious diseases and how you're dealing with it now we'd love to hear from you and we look forward to chatting with you soon we'll see you later